This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday. Uh OG. Doug and I are just singing to stop OG from singing because before we hit record, we're like, dude, stop it with all the Kiss's greatest hits tunes. Feels like a crappy Thursday. <laughs> Isn't that sad when it's Monday morning and you're already to third? Well, that's good. It's almost a weekend and you're I'm already to the weekend. Yes. <laughs> Go One team. More day. You think it's Tuesday? Uh-uh. Not for me. All right, guys. You know how we start the week. Raise the glasses, gents. Raising. Got my coffee ready. Sir, yes, sir. Caribou coffee in here, oh. which I picked up in Minnesota. Yeah. Good day, mate. Look at OG yes. getting all funky with his mug. This is a new one. The Cayman Ooh, Islands. Cayman Islands. The other side say Ritz Carlton or Four Seasons. <laughs> the hat have, says it. <laughs> they, they don't have a Four Seasons. Cayman. Mine is mine is very close to the Cayman Islands, Baltimore, Baltimore County Public, Public Library. Library. I mean, it's a vacation spot. That yes, sounds like the Garden of Eden. <laughs> On behalf of the men and women making podcast in the real Garden of Eden, Mom's basement, even Eden Garden of Eden, uh, and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union. Big salute to our troops. Thank you so much for your service. Let's head out and uh, stack some Benjamins together now this week. Morning, everybody. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today, what if you could ditch your corporate job and take a never-ending sabbatical? We'll hear the story of sisters who treat life like an adventure with the hosts of the Build a Wealthy Spirit podcast, Sammy and Michelle Vargoose. In our headline segment, Are You Asking for Enough at Work? We'll talk about one of the hottest trends in executive hiring. And in our TikTok Minute, we'll do our part to help you keep those kids in the neighborhood organized so you don't have to keep on pitching in for more school supplies. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Stacker Robert, who's curious about the pros and cons of moving IRA money, wait for it, into a universal life policy. And of course, I'll save time to share some spooky trivia. And now, two guys who always enjoy a spirited debate. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Brilliant. Simply brilliant open as usual, Doug. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. I am Joe Salcihi. Ever show money on Twitter. And this guy across the desk from me, all seat buckled in and ready to go it's mr og it's happening ready to rock and roll 
I'm super excited. You know, I always get excited, OG, when you meet these people that are just living their best life. And Sammy and Michelle, who are upstairs talking to mom, they are living their best life while I am stuck down here with you two idiots. Well, maybe this is your best life and this is the best you can do. This is, <laughs> this is I, it, buddy. I got to lower my standards. Exactly. And then you can tell everybody, <laughs> well, I guess I figured it out. This is as good as I get. You know what the best part of my day is, though? The best part of my day is, well, have a listen. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. That might have been second best. This might be the best part of my day. Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Actually, the best part of my day might be uh, the headlines that are coming. The reason that's the best part of your day is because every time you hear that, you hear a cash machine. <laughs> I, I hear the fact that we can, well, if by cash machine you mean we can podcast for one more day. <laughs> that's like that's like dudes on this alone show that I watch where they catch a fish and they're like, yes, one more week of surviving because I got one fish. That is it. One more podcast now in the bucket with those two ads. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Napa-Net. That's the National Association of Plan Advisors, the people that run 401ks, uh, pension funds. It's the website where they all meet and giggle. OG, I'm sure they all big chickle fight. To- <laughs> Do you suppose they have a whole call center dedicated to to people dialing the wrong number looking for a new fuel injector, right? Or spark plugs, <laughs> like wax for their cars. Call them for Napa. Oh, I got your 401k. It's a whole brilliant sales strategy of theirs. They try to convert do-it-yourself auto fixers <laughs> into advisors. Into having a, into having a retirement plan. Yeah. yeah. This is written by Ted Godbout. Non-qualified plan sponsors focused on improving the employee experience. You know what's interesting, OG? We saw the Great Recession a couple of years ago. A lot of people quitting their jobs. And now, according to Ted, the big okay, industry- It was a little more than a couple of years ago. Let's be clear. It was- what, 21, 22? 
Oh, you said the Great Recession, which is yeah. what we oh, call the 2007 through 2009. Time. I meant the Great <laughs> Resignation. The Great Resignation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Different thing altogether. Ambiguity or mixing up my words, whatever. But we saw the Great Resignation, and now there is, it seems, there's all kinds of talent moving around and companies trying to grab onto some of these top people offering uh, some cool benefits. The WTW non-qualified retirement benefit survey of nearly 400 U.S. employers found that more than half of employer respondents either made changes to their non-qualified defined benefit retirement plans in the past years, or they plan to. Even more employers, 75% changed their non-qualified defined contribution retirement plans in the past years, or they plan to. And this is a quote from Chris West, senior director, head of Dallas retirement and leader of WTW's non-qualified plan specialty group. He said, employer interest in non-qualified retirement plans is at an all-time high. In fact, we've helped clients implement more new plans and redesign existing plans in the past two years than in prior years. These non-qualified retirement plans, OG, a lot of people might not even know what these are, but if you're somebody who's hoping to enter the executive ranks, this may be a great uh, perk to put on the table that says, hey, you offer one of these, I might be able to, I might be able to help you out. I think mostly we're talking about like deferred comp plans, right? Where you have some of your salary and you say, I'll take a lower salary today in exchange for that money being invested or set in a savings account or however they do it. Every company is a little different. Some of them buy their own company stock with it. That's a different kind of risk. And then you tie your payout of that into the future so that you say, okay, I don't want this $80,000 a year. I'm going to go ahead and have that deferred and pay that out to me starting in year 10 and then pay it over five years or something. And so there's a lot of flexibility that you have, especially if you're on the other side of the cash flow (laughs) arc. Right. Where it's like, I've got so much extra cash, I don't know what to do with it all. Well, this is one of the one of the areas is you can set it aside for the future. What's really intriguing from a planning standpoint is when you start timing those things out with cash flow needs. So you say, like, I've got a seven year old. I know that in 10 years from now, I'm going to need college tuition when she's, you know, 17. She's going to be a freshman in college. So if I can defer some comp today, I'm basically saving for college without having to save for college. Right. I'm, I'm just like using that from a cash flow standpoint. There's some pretty big risks with it. Obviously, the market risk and that sort of thing. But there's also risk of the company not fulfilling on their obligation. Yeah. Most of them are like 457 plans, which are technically owned by the employer still. So the difference between like a 401k or a 403b and a 457, two plans that some people, a lot of people are familiar with that technically the 457 is an asset of the company in most circumstances. So if they go bankrupt, that's the big the bank downside. can go after the 457, which yeah. is your deferral money. You know, you kind of have to know what you're getting yourself into. Well, that's why, and that's why I think this isn't definitely, you know, somebody listening to us today going after their first job or maybe their first raise with a boss. This is not for those people, but for somebody that's like, listen, I've been in, I've been in the middle of this company for a long time. I think I'm executive material. You should be looking for this as a second tier thing. And, and certainly there's that downside that this is the company's money. But the upside, OG, is you don't have some of those rules like you have with your 401k. We don't have a 59 and a half rule around this money. It can be five years, it can be 10 years, it can be whatever you want to set it up as. So right. there's a lot of negotiating you can do here if you're a talented individual to set things up that really fit your lifestyle. Yeah, the cool thing is, is that there aren't any of those rules. And if you're on the front edge of it as 
kind of the organizer from your company, you can kind of kind of design it however you want to do it. There's also a lot more flexibility around the dollar amounts, right? Like we've got 22,500 that you could put in your 401k. There's a lot more zeros you can use for a deferred comp plan. I don't want to forget everybody else though, OG. My main reason for bringing this up is that Heck, a, a lot of people don't even know that this stuff exists. And if you're somebody going, you know, what's my next move? This could be for you. But for people that are just entering the workforce here at the end of summer, early fall, you also should be thinking about, you know, maybe maybe you just finish your first year, finish your first two years. And nobody's really talked to you about raises. Let's just talk about getting a raise. I got a piece here from Indeed.com, which is a good piece to start with that I'll here must to. Doug. In the, in the show notes, Doug wants three cups of coffee instead of two. Uh, how to ask for a raise. In this guide, the very first thing it says is choose the right time to ask. And there were three guidelines they had there. What's the financial health of the company? Doug, it's horrible, by the way. And second, how's your manager's workload? We're terribly overworked. This is not a good time. And when's the best time of year to ask for a raise? It says some employers might conduct annual or quarterly reviews. That's a good time too. End of the fiscal year is another option to do it. But I'll tell you this, OG, I've had some managers that are busy all the time. And I think that, you know, I, I would just go, yeah, it's not the right time. Yeah, it's it, at some point, it doesn't matter if it's the right time or not. You just gotta, You just got to get it done. Well, especially if you're the one that has to bring that up, it's always going to be a, a little bit of a conflict. But it is very difficult to find really good people, you know, back to your great resignation thing and kind of people floating around and that sort of thing. And all the studies show that it costs a ton more money to bring somebody on and train them and get them all up to speed than it does just to retain your existing people. It doesn't mean you, you can take advantage of that. Well, but to some degree, you should take advantage of that. I mean, the next point on here says if you've successfully completed a significant task or project right after that, go ask for your raise. Yeah. Because then you can say, see what I just did for you? I would yeah, love I don't to mean, continue I, doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, don't be obnoxious about taking it. Sure, right, it, yeah. You know, but if your request is reasonable, and I think it also helps to have facts, you know what I mean? Like, I was thinking about this in the context of like new jobs versus like existing people. And there's always that struggle when, you know, you get hired in the company and then you get your pay raises, right? And then you hear the stories of like, the person fresh out of college is making just as much money as the person that has right. seven years of experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just because the economy, the market, whatever has just kind of commanded that. I don't know that employers are purposefully doing that. Like, ha 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 ha. We got this Doug guy getting two cups of coffee. All the new guys are getting three. <laughs> he doesn't even know, you know, but it happens. And so the more that you can illustrate that in a, you know, respectful way, I think the better, obviously inflation is a super easy one to go after in the last couple of years. Right. I mean, inflation is, if you're getting 3% and inflation six, you just be like, listen, you know, milk, bread, and cheese went up six. So you got to get something like that. But if you also have the data around, you know, here's what new people are being hired at in this position. And here's what your competitors yeah. are hiring and that sort of thing. You have a lot more, yeah. a lot more uh, leg to stand I'll, on. I'll tell you that probably one of the, the best ways that I ever had that done to me was when one of my team members sort of prepped me that, hey, this discussion is coming. Don't want to have it now. But the next time we sit down and have a discussion, I'd like to have the opportunity to talk to you about why I deserve a uh, increase in my compensation. It's a nice way to phrase it too. I love that because otherwise, the, most of the other times it feels like an ambush. Even when yeah. you're in, hey, you got a second? And you're like, oh yeah, sure. What's up? Right. And then you're like, kind of doing stuff, and it's like, listen, so right. um, yeah. I need some more money. 
what? Wait, what? Unless it is absolutely your star player or somebody who has a skill set that you cannot afford to get rid of, your natural response in that leadership role is to figure out how to, you're either literally verbally saying, yeah, this isn't a great time right now because of budgets or whatever, or at least, you know, physically you're tensing up and thinking, how do I defend this assault? Whereas the person who came to me and said, not right now, but the next time we sit down next quarter, you know, if we were doing quarterly reviews, I'd like to have an opportunity to talk to you about a compensation adjustment. Then it feels much more like a, a conversation. It also gives you time to prep. And if, I didn't say no, but if your leadership were to say, yeah, I'm not sure really you're in a in a position to be having that discussion. Now I know, okay, they're not happy with my performance. Just like you guys say to me like every couple of weeks. <laughs> no t-shirts. <laughs> right? Fresh out. So I really appreciated that approach that that person uh, took with me. Joe, I loved your suggestion a second ago, which is, or maybe it was in the piece. I can't remember how you phrased it, but... Um, if you have a significant achievement, you just, you know, you were a project manager, you just were leading some big initiative and you brought it in on time under budget or whatever. Within a couple of weeks of that, great time to jump on it, to bring, but don't make it confrontational. I don't know if it's television, movies, for some reason, it always, we, we're trained to make it feel like that needs to be a confrontation and you're going into battle. Yeah. You're, you're pretty much setting yourself up for a no. I think we got to remember what Maury Terrapore, the negotiation expert who's worked with the NFL Players Association and other groups, Wharton professor said when she was on the show, which is that often your boss does not have the ability on their own to say yes or no anyway. So treat it like a meeting where you are giving them the facts and you guys are on the same team. Trying to get an advocate for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And man, that cooperative nature of that meeting comes across way better Either way, listen, we both want this, you know, everybody wants to make more money, right? We all want me to have more. <laughs> Just like a conversation uh, I have down at the Sizzler. <laughs> we will have a deeper dive on this in the 201 newsletter tomorrow, stackybenjamins.com slash 201. Our newsletter is always free. It is, uh, has an amazing number of people that write to us about it each week. I love the discussions that we have around the 201, stackybenjamins.com slash 201. Coming up next, our sisters who went to the right colleges, did all the right stuff in their 20s and realized, you know what? While it seems like being on a boat in Ibiza, which I'm sure we'll talk about that story, partying with the most lavish people. It's Ibiza, Joe. Say it right. Ibiza. Stop. We'll, we will. Uh, we, you mean it's pronounced like, uh, what's the city? Ibiza. Budapest. <laughs> Budapest. 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 It's pronounced like Budapest. Yes, it's Ibiza and Budapest. And you should order some bruschetta when you're in Ibiza on your way to Budapest. Isn't it bruschetta? Strangle him, OG. Just strangle him. Bruschetta? Bruschetta, I think is how you pronounce that. Anyway, they're on a boat, realize that maybe this is not uh, our best life. And to hear their redefinition and how they got there of their best life is is amazing, and it's a great lesson in treating your life as an adventure. But uh, before that, we always have an adventure at this juncture, which is Doug's Trivia. What's our adventure today, Doogie? Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we have the ladies from the Build a Wealthy Spirit podcast joining us. So I'm going to commemorate the occasion by turning the basement into a spirit Halloween store. I mean, for this year, if you don't have your Halloween costume yet, it's probably too late. It's practically Christmas shopping season already. If I don't get this set up soon, 
You'll have to go as a plainclothes police officer again. It was hilarious the first time. So, before we're ready to buy Valentine's Day supplies, let's talk Halloween. Originally a Celtic holiday dating back more than 2,000 years. Yes, that's how you pronounce that. It's not Celtics. We're not in Boston. It's Celtic. Did the Celtics have their bruschetta? <laughs> as they were dressing. Yeah, probably. With Why nice, don't you come over for the pagan dance and some bruschetta? With nice little like tomatoes chopped up finely on top and maybe some herbs. Anyway, Halloween wasn't commercialized until the first couple decades of the 20th century when the Denison Paper Company began mass-producing paper costumes. Around that same time was the first documented trick-or-treating in America. That must have been confusing for the neighborhood. Hey, honey, there's a kid here who says we all have a tiny Snickers bar. We got any of those? Since kids first started dressing up and wandering out into the night in search of treats, the Halloween industry has grown into an over $10 billion industry, with roughly $7 billion of that being spent on costumes alone. So today's trivia question is, what is the most popular Halloween costume in the United States? I'll be back right after I go find my fog machine. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Guaranteed. 
Hey there, stackers. I'm Twizzler loyalist and neighborhood trick-or-treat champion, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. The Halloween industry continues to grow every year with those Spirit of Halloween stores popping up in vacant retail stores earlier and earlier. I'm shocked that during the break, they actually turned me down. Oh, I see. A vacant Burlington Coat Factory works, but mom's basement doesn't? She'll have a few words for those people, but let's get you today's trivia. As costumes get more elaborate, one character holds tight in the number one spot. Today's trivia question was, what is the most popular Halloween costume in the United States? The answer, a witch! <laughs> That's why OG has been wearing that the past 12 years. And now, let's learn to build a life that's aligned with your values with Sammy and Michelle Vargus. And I'm super happy we finally have them coming down to the basement. Sammy and Michelle are here. How are you? Hi. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having us in the basement. We are super excited. Well, I'm super excited that you're here. And just so people get to know your voices, Sammy, we'll ask you a question first. Which one of the two of you are older? That would be me by a whole 13 months. And I'm very proud of those 13 months. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Michelle, does Sammy hold those 13 months over your head? Oh, yeah. She's always trying to take care of me. She's very older sister, despite the fact that we basically grew up in lockstep with each other. <laughs> Yeah, but you guys have always been friends, haven't you, Sammy? Do you guys have many fights at all? I mean, we certainly fight, but we are very close. Like, people always ask us if we were always close. And there's literally baby pictures of us just, like, sitting there hugging. And so, yeah, we were very close. (laughs) But we do fight. I think because we're so close, we can just explode and Mm -hmm. have, you know, the tough conversations we need to have. And then... We're sisters. We'll still be there afterwards. Well, yeah, and you guys, Michelle, have such an interesting story. And the fact that it's together is definitely where I wanted to start. But it is this journey that a lot of people, frankly, aspire to. I feel like you guys treat life as if it's an adventure. But, I, but I'm wondering how it started. Like, where did it? Where did this this adventure really begin? Yeah. So I would say it started first when Sammy discovered the fire movement. So this was a few years ago, probably. 2015, 2016. And we were living in San Francisco and we were living large. We felt like we had made it, honestly. We had checkboxed our way to success. We went to the right schools. We got good jobs. And we didn't really have much of a personal finance education outside of that. So we were making pretty good money and we were in San Francisco. So we did what we thought you were supposed to do, which was spend it on eating out, eating sushi all the time, going to things like the ice cream museum, the candy museum, traveling. We went to Vegas all the time because we were so close. I remember one time we were in Ibiza and we were on this boat party with our friends. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was so funny because like in the terms, they're like, we guarantee at least one champagne shower for everybody. <laughs> and it's just, it was those type of ridiculous things that I think you see on television and you're like, oh, okay, this is what it means to be in your 20s and in the city. And then one day, Sammy discovered a little bit more about the fire movement. She sort of had her And she ruined all the fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's when we stopped having fun. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that then, Sammy. So how did you discover, like, were you just on the internet one day, you saw Mr. Money Mustache post or what happened? 
Well, actually, we were visiting one of our friends in Austria, another one of our travel trips. And this is why it's so important who you surround yourself with, because our friend, you know, we go to her home. Her housing is actually subsidized by her work, but she's renting out one of her rooms to Airbnb. They're growing their own herbs. They're talking about finances. And I'm kind of putting together that they're being very conscious about their finances. So I asked her, like, what is going on here? And that's when she was like, oh, have you heard of the fire movement? From there, it was a rabbit hole that maybe on the outside looked like it killed all our fun. <laughs> but we went deep. We went deep into that. You certainly did. And so was then, Michelle, your job situation, did that kind of then set the adventure in motion? I, I got to believe that had a huge part to play in what you guys did next. Yeah, that was a huge inflection point. So I had moved to Austin at the end of 2019, which was a great time to make a major life transition. I was wearing tech sales, my company shut down, but my team had never been doing that well. It was a new team. And when COVID hit, it just accelerated the fact that everybody was doing poorly. My manager got fired about six months in and I went to my new manager and I was very confident and I told him, you know what, I want you to know that I'm not leaving, I'm not interviewing, I'm sticking it out, I'm ready to be here. I was like dedicated to the job. And he looks me in the eye through our Zoom conversation and he goes, well, maybe you should be. Oh my God. <laughs> and we just had probably one of the most contentious conversations of my career. And what ended up happening is Sammy and I come from a very positive family and so even though I think anyone else in that situation would have told me to quit, uh, my parents, I talked to one of my cousins, they were like, you know, you can only control one thing and that's your output. At the end of the day, whatever happens, happens, but at least you'll be able to like have some integrity in your work. And two things happened. One, I ran the numbers really quick because I did have to know if I lost my job, would I be okay? And then two, I doubled down. I worked really hard and I actually improved. And I started to do really well. I got shout outs at meetings. People were reaching out to me for questions and asking me all these technical questions. Unfortunately, it was too little too late. I wasn't able to redeem myself, but my manager ended up throwing me a goodbye happy hour. But all that to say is by the time I was done, I was like, okay, even though things didn't work out, I showed myself for the first time in a while that I could work hard and I can grow and I can get better. And what would happen if I applied this energy to myself? And that's when I started talking to Sammy and I was like, maybe I'll take a little bit of time off. And she was waiting there with her fire folders and her spreadsheets. And she was like, you can definitely do this. She helped me look at my numbers and I want to do something that's aligned with my values for my next step. One thing I realized, especially since I was in my role before that for five years. So when I moved into this other role, I felt the same way. I didn't think I was giving my all the first six months. And to actually challenge myself and to see myself grow like that, that was the first time in a long time that I had felt that again. And it's so powerful. Like, I think in that it, that situation can sound so terrifying in some ways sure. when you talk about it. But at the same time, I think it's those uncomfortable moments, those new things that you do, that you really see what occasion you can rise to. Yeah. Sammy, what are you doing at this time? So Michelle is struggling to keep her head above water in Austin. Where are you at? So at that time, I was living with my parents. So fortunately, I did not have to pay rent. And that is one of the big reasons I moved back in with them. Is it hard to live with parents? And like having them tell you to come and live with them is one thing. I love mom and I love podcasting from mom's basement. But I could stay here for maybe about four days before <laughs> I got to go back home. Yeah. 
And I definitely thought I was one of those people. And my mom is a huge fan of the podcast. So just cover your ears. Uh, (laughs) But honestly, like, I'm like very type A. And so living with them is not this easy thing. Like when I was first visiting them, they had visitors for like a month. So I just slept on the floor in the living room. Oh, my God. Yes. So it wasn't like this simple thing. Meanwhile, I'm working as a physician assistant. So I'm going to work. I have hours of work to do after work. I'm really busy. You must have been though, you're saving. It it had to be then 90, 95% of your money. Yeah, it was quite a bit of money. The most would be because I was commuting three hours a day. Maybe that took up, you know, the most biggest chunk of my money, but I was probably saving, yeah, like upwards of 80% of my income that was after tax. What was your goal? What part of the fire movement appealed to you? It also sounds like sleeping on the floor isn't fun. Like there had to be a horizon that you're looking at, Sammy, where you, what does the horizon look at this point? Yeah. You know, when I heard about the fire movement from my friend, it was so inspirational to me. And I think I thought about early retirement. I thought about getting more time freedom. And in the beginning, I couldn't even admit to myself that the real reason that that all appealed to me was because Truthfully, I was burned out at my job. I felt like I was working all the time. And the whole part of FIRE that really appealed to me is just this idea that I could have my time back and I could actually do what I want to do with my time. So sleeping on the floor in my parents' home with them and all their visitors was just a small thing that I would have to suffer through for a small amount of time to eventually get to where I wanted to get to. And the place you want to get to is clearly back on a boat in Ibiza with a champagne shower. (laughs) That, that you don't have to go back to work ever. <laughs> right, exactly. Of course, you know, goals change over time. But yeah, that was that was the ultimate goal. But I will say over time, we ended up moving to this desert town. So ultimately, while I was living in my parents' home, I got offered this job for you know a lot of money to move to the middle of nowhere. Right. You guys, hold on a second. On a, on a recent podcast, you talked about the word wasn't impoverished. What was the word that you used to describe this town that some publication had called it? No, it was impoverished. It was impoverished? <laughs> yeah. Impoverished desert town vis-a-vis the LA Times. They did a small piece and it, it's pretty harsh, honestly, yeah. but also <laughs> relatively accurate. And it's funny because now that makes it really easy to communicate to people. Like we live in a small town, but it's an impoverished desert town. So you get this, was it a recruiter then, Sammy, that reached out to you? Yes. And, you know, we get recruiter emails all the time and I usually never look at them. But this one, the pay was so high that I was kind of like, ooh, you know, maybe I could live in the desert for a certain amount of time and build up some income. I mean, I'm sleeping on my parents' floor right now, so (laughs) it could only be up. (laughs) If I only had a friend who's dumb enough to go with me. And split the rent. That, that might do it. So, Michelle, what about this is attractive to you? Yeah. So, in that time, I had lost my job and I actually had also moved in with my parents. But right around the one year point, I told the family, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to move. And coincidentally, that coincided with Sammy getting this new job opportunity. So, Sammy and I, I went with her to the interview. We are in this. I would say ghost town-esque place. First time I've seen real life tumbleweeds. And she turns to me and she's like, I'm not taking this job. And I was like, I was in Starbucks all day. It's not bad. (laughs) And she ends up taking the role and she's like, hey, like, would you come with me? And I was like, there's no way. (laughs) And then I run the numbers. You know, I wanted to move to a city. I still wasn't working. And I was like, oof, man, rent from a one bedroom by myself in a city. That's 
going to eat up my savings pretty fast. Maybe that's the change I need to make. Not to mention it's a third of the cost. So I decided to join Sammy. So we packed up our bags and moved to the desert. The cool thing is, is that I truly get the feeling that you've liked your time there. Like this has been a super good thing. Yeah, I think we both kind of think of ourselves as like Henry David Thoreau over here in Walden. And (laughs) being in the middle of nowhere, and we are two hours away from any even remotely large town. Like my health insurance for my work comes with a helicopter pass. (laughs) (laughs) Just being away from everything, it really gives you a lot of time to reflect on your own life and the direction that you're going in. It's funny that I think we busy ourselves so much sometimes we forget to just be quiet. Now, Sammy, when you and I have talked just briefly about your job, it seems like you really like it there. But you guys are on the show today because you're making another move. So, Sammy, how did this transpire where you're like, okay, it's time to close the book on this chapter? Yes, I think this is such an important example of knowing when to stop. So, you know, I always think of a raft that you used to get across a river. You then, once you're over the river, don't carry that raft with you for miles. So it's a tool to get you across the river, but it is not life. And that's what I think about fire and the, you know, the financial tools. Now we've built up a good amount of wealth, but I still see, you know, I've accumulated a lot of patience here and I'm still working a lot and I still don't have that time to do what I wanted to do, which is the whole reason I began this journey in the first place. And recently I actually had to get my thyroid removed and I healed from the recovery pretty well, but I ended up having a really, really bad stomach bug. So I got over the vomiting, but I was so tired for three days and I couldn't even look at the light. So I was also in a dark room for three days. And this was like a very, very low point because I was just feeling so weak and so sick. And I think sometimes when you feel like that, you think to yourself, what if I feel like this forever, even though you know that's not going to happen. And I was reflecting on how I ended up so sick like this. I thought to myself, I really feel like there was this small, small part of me that wanted to get more time off from work because initially I was enjoying it. And that really scared me because I did not want my body to think that this is what it has to do to keep me out of work. And at that time, I decided, you know, I'm going to commit to an exit plan. And that was a really big turning point for me in actually putting it on the calendar and taking steps to move and take a sabbatical, essentially. Nothing like a medical aha to make (laughs) you like, seriously, to reframe like what's important, what's right. Exactly. Exactly. You talk about this uh, on your podcast and you begin talking about lifestyle inflation and about how you're afraid that that could happen with where you move. Let's play a little clip. And this is the beginning of the episode from Build a Wealthy Spirit on lifestyle inflation. One thing I've been thinking a lot about, Sammy, as we think about moving from our small town to a bigger city somewhere on the East Coast is lifestyle inflation. Lifestyle creep. I'm scared. Mm -hmm. They don't call it lifestyle creep for no reason. (laughs) And let me tell you, it's been creeping on me. Here I am working, making the good money. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, I'm going to move there to that place with fancy things. And I might spend money. I might be into things that I wasn't into anymore. 
I might slip and fall and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, in the nicest place you have. You already slipped and fall and spent thousands on thyroids. (laughs) (laughs) thyroid Getting the hell out of, uh, away from thyroids. You keep calling this place, this place that you're moving to on the East Coast. Have you been open with your fans about where you're moving? Not yet, but we have finally decided we were sort of circling around a couple of different places, but we are pretty sure we're going to end up in Charleston, especially since our parents are hopefully going to retire there. And so we won't be living with them again, but <laughs> it'll be nice to be near them. We can keep an eye on them. We can spend a little bit of time with them. So we think it's going to be Charleston. Did they convince you? Were they like, you know, you could all move to Charleston? Oh, yes. That's been going on for a long time. (laughs) Now, your parents are going to be there, but do you know other people there? Like, do you know a lot about the Charleston community? We have one friend (laughs) there. So even though she's one friend, she's a close friend of ours. But outside of that, we will be starting fresh. We are super social now because we have been living in a town (laughs) by ourselves. Because you've been deprived. You've been totally deprived. But we're so used to being a little bit, I think, avoidant because we're so used to being so popular, I guess, in town. And I think we're excited to just, one, go to the grocery store and not know people. And two, we still are very friendly, so we can kind of pick and choose and make friends and build a community. I think we, we picked up and moved so many times that even though it'll take some time to build, I think we have a lot of faith that we'll be able to meet cool, interesting people there. But the last part of your adventure, Sammy, was, you know, it was your spreadsheet, right? It was, this was a spreadsheet-based move to move out to the middle of the desert. Charleston, a lot more expensive in Charleston. I lived in Charleston. People were waiting for me to mention that, by the way, to complete their bingo square. Uh, I won't say where I went to school because I get crap about that too, but it was in Charleston. But it's not a cheap town. Like, how did you make this decision? And um, how did you make it congruent with your feelings about financial independence? It's definitely much more expensive than our town that has nothing to offer as far as things to do. So there are much more opportunities to spend money, even the apartment we're looking at. It's a luxury apartment, so it is much more expensive than the apartment that we're currently living in. So there is a lot of cost to consider. But I think as far as the bigger picture, moving to Charleston is pivoting from a period of saving a ton, you know, where we're both saving probably 50% or more of our income, to now actually getting to utilize that money that we saved up, even though I'm not fire yet. It's like a mini retirement where I'm getting to take a little break and actually enjoy some of the things that we've built up so that we use it for what we actually wanted to use it for. What's your plan work-wise going to be? Great question. So first plan is at least for a few months, I do not want to work at all. I just want to take a break and enjoy, make friends, rebuild my community that I've completely abandoned for the past like six years. (laughs) And then after that, I have been thinking a little bit unconventional. So I'm on a student loan forgiveness program and I have about maybe like a little less than two years left. So I do have to work at a nonprofit. But now, because in my head, I'm like, you know, I've built up a good amount of wealth. There's no reason I should be spending all my time working or after work doing more work. I'm like, I really want a job that like is confined to the 30 to 40 hours that it says that it's supposed to be confined to. And so I've been really thinking outside the box, like even working at the library as a library assistant, that's a nonprofit job. I have been like expanding my perspective on what a nonprofit job could be just so I can finish out this term and also get to maintain that time. 
That is so interesting. It's 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 funny, Michelle, to see your sister go from something that was highly stressful and eight dollar time. You can feel the rubber band, right? That she's going the opposite direction. It's crazy. I think one thing we realized, especially once I left my job and sort of tried to not work for a little bit, is sometimes there's this question of like what happens after fire. It almost feels like a fairy tale, you know, like the prince and the princess get married and they're happily ever after and you reach retirement. And I think a lot of people what I've realized now is that's actually not the end of the story. There's a lot that happens. We tie a lot of our identity to our work. There's a lot of introspection involved with that. And so I went through a lot of that in the past couple of years and came out the other end really happy and really excited. Like I've been making the least amount of money in my life. But at the same time, I, I'm at a point where I felt like I could really enjoy my life still, despite being by the outside looking like we're living in the middle of nowhere, it gave me time to just like think about what I valued and create a life that's more in alignment. And I think for Sammy, she's given so much of herself to her job. And it's exciting to see that she's taking a little bit of time back for herself. Because I think at the end of the day, things like fire are so focused on money. But really, I think what a lot of people want is just to get more time back. And it also is funny because as you were talking and you're talking about Sammy finding getting the sabbatical that you've had, it isn't just your identity. It's the way the world identifies you. Because since the time I've known both of you, Sammy has had a job. Michelle, you've been on sabbatical. So let's ask you the question, Michelle. So when does your sabbatical end and and you start looking for the next step? Yeah, it's so funny because now I talk so much about being on a sabbatical and it's, it's a nice shift. It's much better when people let you just do what you want to do than when you first leave your job and everybody wants to know what your next step is. And you're like, I haven't figured it out. But now I've, I've honestly transitioned out of it probably at the beginning of this year, just because as I started to publish more with our podcast and writing and like joining online communities and meeting people online and who have similar interests or who are doing similar things as me, I've just gotten more involved in those communities and have taken on freelance jobs. So I'm actually honestly pretty busy again. (laughs) It's funny how that happens, but it feels much more aligned with things that I'm interested in. So I'm going to keep doing that. We're basically shifting a little bit in this next season of our life. I'm going to be working more and Sammy's going to have time off. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like, especially since I'm a little bit more type B and Sammy's a little bit more type A. But yeah, so my my sabbatical has mostly been done and I'm I'm just going to continue working on different projects that I'm interested in. Well, I was just thinking, Sammy, it's about damn time your younger sister took care of you for a minute. Right. I mean, come on. Come on. I know. I'm like, it's sabbatical time. <laughs> and Michelle's like, I have a lot of work to do. Uh, your podcast is Build a Wealthy Spirit. We'll have a link to it, Stackers, on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. But tell us what's coming up because you guys are documenting this journey, obviously, and the the episodes you have you're going through your own thoughts about the things that you're doing. It's also well-researched. You'll have guests on sometimes, but tell us about maybe some cool upcoming stuff on the show. Yeah, we're really excited. And so a main thing with our podcast, like the main thing that we always want to express to our community and hope to provide some tools around is this idea that you can build a financial foundation for yourself so that you can then go and live a life that's more aligned with your dreams, whatever that might look like for you. For us, it's taking time off and pursuing our own projects. For other people, it's spending time with their kids or traveling around the world. And so we really think that, at least what we saw for ourselves, was we were missing a few basic personal finance building blocks. And then now 
since we've been doing this for two years, we've also happened to record our own journey. So you'll be looking at Sammy dealing with all her stuff with the sabbatical. I already know what's coming up for her because I've gone through it, but I think it'll be really fun to talk about it. There's a lot of mindset shifting. There's a lot of identity transitions you're going through. So that'll be really fun. And then I'll also be talking about some of the unconventional ways that I'm working because as of right now, I'm not going back to a nine to five, but I'm sort of moving into this coast fire mentality where I really just want to be able to like cover my bills and focus on like projects that I'm really excited about and build that over a long period of time. Well, I can't wait to see what's next for you ladies. Uh, the show build a wealthy spirit. You'll hear it wherever finer podcasts are heard. Can't wait to see what's next. Thanks for joining us and helping our stackers live life as an adventure and telling your story. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you so Joe. much, Joe. This is Aaron from Colorado Springs, and when I'm not teaching three boys how to patch hockey stick holes in drywall, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Sammy and Michelle. And I love this idea, OG. You did it, right? Took the family and said, hey, let's move to Dallas. I remember when you, Mrs. OG, came down and we went to the Dallas Arboretum together, kind of drove around Dallas, and you knew a whopping, I think, how many people did you know in Dallas before you moved there? Yeah, I don't think anybody. Yeah, Alyssa did because she worked down here. So she had some work colleagues, but um, it was quite the change. We had something similar, you know, moving the family to Texarkana. And I remember telling Cheryl's family, a, fa- a well-meaning family member, writing us a nice note going, you're going to hate it. It's going to be horrible. Your family's going to be so far away. And it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going like, to be rotten. My family's going to be so far away. <laughs> Why do you think we're leaving? <laughs> family's going to be so far away. <laughs> my family's going to be so far away. Well, the, the bad news about this individual was that they had moved from uh, Canada, from the Toronto area to California, like in the late 1950s when they were a kid. And so they were translating it to be the same, you know, and I've got, I've got one kid right now who's in Montana and another one who's in Seattle and we talk like every day. I mean, it's a whole different world. I feel like my kids are right next door to me and with family, we've been on a group chat with our family since we left 14 years ago. We're always laughing about stuff or getting together. Heck, even during the pandemic, you know, we get on these zoom chats and sit around with a glass of wine and talk about what's going on. Um, Maybe play some. You don't know Jack style games on, on zoom. I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like they're that far away. It's definitely a different thing now than, than years ago. I, it also helped for us that I had lived in different places, so it didn't really bother me that much to, to move. move. And frankly, we see more of our family now than we did when we lived two hours away. Cause it was like, Oh, well, they're just on the street. So, you know, some of these themes we talked about last week, though, of really getting it together. I mean, you know, going to the right schools was great for Sammy and Michelle. Being able to work these high-end jobs was great, but really being frugal in their 20s, going from party nonstop to realizing, hey, if we're frugal now, we can create this great life. And look at how much fun they had. I mean, this dusty old town in the middle of nowhere, Nevada, it ends, it ends up being being a great story for them. Later on, I've never heard of somebody, by the way, who, along with their health benefits, gets a helicopter card mm-hmm. to be able to take the helicopter for free. That was a new, was a new, new story for me. I mean, that's when you know you're remote. Wow. Yeah. It comes with a helicopter pass. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks to Sammy and Michelle. Go check out the Build a Wealthy Spirit podcast. If you're loving what they talked about today, that's uh, what they dive into every show. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions, guys. Oh, my goodness. You know what segment I skipped? 
I accidentally missed our TikTok minute. Oh, Steve, let's Steve, let's put this in reverse. Time for the TikTok minute, the part of the show where we either shine a light on somebody making some internet goodness or some air quotes internet goodness. What do you think we got today? Is it goodness or great goodness? Air quotes goodness, OG. Definitely great goodness. Well, I got to tell you, um, for people with kids going back to school, this woman is teaching a lesson that anybody with children or maybe even help out your nieces and nephews with this lesson. I'll let her explain the PowerPoint she does with her kid at the beginning of the school year. Well, I just got the notice that my son's school starts up in a few weeks, and now it's time for me to pull out the PowerPoint presentation on how the rules for back to school are going to go. Again, don't know if anybody else does this. This is just me. It is also entitled, What We Not Gonna Do, because this ain't that. What we're not going to do is change up our stomach energy. You've been living on a diet of hot chips, chicken nuggets, and every popsicle and disgusting drink known to man without one stomach ache. You're not about to come to me talking about my stomach hurt like you got the intestinal tract of a geriatric Crohn's patient. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is act like we can't wake up. You've been getting up at 677 every morning. And yes, I said 677 because of some ungodly hour that doesn't exist. <laughs> Asking me about some breakfast. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is not prepare our clothes and our items for the next day, the day before. I'm not about to have a slight heart attack trying to rush us out the door to get you in time for the bus. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is act like you ran out of supplies after the second day of school. I literally just spent $75,000 making sure everything on that list was there. You're not about to keep losing everything. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is tell me about reports, permission slips, and picture day packets the day before they're due. I'm not about to get my blood pressure up running around here to get all of these supplies or find an outfit or do a project into the wee hours of the morning. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is complain about the lunches that are packed for you. Literally took you to the store and asked you if every separate item was okay, but then when I put it together in a lunch that's nutritious, now all of a sudden it's trash. This ain't that. What we're not going to do is as soon as we get home, you asking me 55 times is dinner ready. I told you to eat the lunch that I provided that you told me was okay, but now it's trash. This ain't that. What we're not about to do is let me know you still here. This ain't that. Oh, wow. <laughs> That was fabulous. A couple of those hit home. I know. If I could rewind to school supplies <laughs> and uh, the day before the projects due. Yesterday, my uh, middle kids in high school, a very gifted, talented young man who is very smart, but high school is a different thing. And we're trying to let them know, like, you know, this is ninth grade and it's AP world history, not just I can watch it on video history, whatever kind, you know. And he came down at 9.30 and he said, hey, so uh, Hamilton said it took him like five hours to take all the notes. And I go, how long did it take you? He goes, I haven't started yet, but I think I can do it a little faster. I go, well, it's 9.30, bro. So if it takes you four hours, you've got until 1.30 to write some notes. So hop to it. He goes, I need a brain break. So he laid down on the couch and watched videos until 10. Oh, <laughs> Mike, a brain break for playing Xbox? Come on, man. Yeah, there's always that adjustment period of the kids getting back into it, thinking this won't be a big deal, and it's a big deal. Fabulous uh, TikTok minute. Now let's do the Haven Lifeline. All right, fine. <laughs> 
tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. Man, I knew you were going to ask me. I got to go back to an old trusty one, which is a short game and my golf bag. I played golf the other day. Finn turns in town. We went out and played and this amazing course and really difficult. And I, I hit every fairway off the tee. I couldn't miss. And I still had a regrettable found a way, found a way, still found a way to have more than two digits in my final score. <laughs> I just can't. I mean, how do you do that? How are you just right? I'm just striping it down the middle off the tee. And I think OG knows what the problem is. It's that f-ing golf course you're playing on. Yeah, that's right. Because it, it was in Michigan. It was a Michigan golf course. So there's a good chance that that's where the issue is. I need yes. to only play in Texas. That's it. It says your loved ones in your time, but it's your loved ones, your time in golf in Texas. That's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackybedjamins.com slash Haven Life now for a free quote. It's a simple application. It's been streamlined. It's all online. You'll get instant coverage decision. Lovely customer support, robust online life insurance calculator if you're not sure how much you need. And all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. You know, if you don't have your life insurance together, that you got to get that moving. So go to, you don't need a brain break. Don't need a brain break. (laughs) Pause and go to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new BFF, Robert. Hey, Robert. Hey, Joe, OG, and of course, Doug, this is Robert. I have a question regarding moving IRA money into a universal life policy to avoid inheritance taxes. Uh, Here's the deal. I have a friend who recently retired with a state pension, a deferred compensation plan, and an IRA. My friend is super worried about her heirs inheriting her IRAs during their peak earning years and subsequently having to pay higher taxes on said inheritances. So her financial advisor is telling her to move some of her IRA money into a universal life policy such that her heirs will not have to pay taxes on it when she dies. The amount of money they want to move is about 500K, where the total net worth is about 1.5 million. This just didn't sound like a good idea to me, but I don't know how this works, nor the pros and cons of it. She'll be paying about 6K per year for the policy, and the policy is also apparently indexed to inflation. Can you explain how this works and if it's a good idea? If not, are there other ways to shield inherited retirement money from taxes, given the 10-year rule on inherited IRAs? She says her advisor is a fiduciary, but I'm questioning that, given this advice. Thanks for any insights. I love the show. I promise not to learn from anything you say. You guys rock. I still want a shirt. See ya. (laughs) Robert, we are sending a shirt your way for uh, being brave enough to call. And thanks for that question. And I think Robert and everybody else, if you're not watching us on TikTok, you could even hear verbally. Oh, geez. Uh, uh, Scott response. He couldn't, he couldn't stop it. So I think Robert, I'm getting the early indicator that OG might be on team Robert with this one, that this might not be a phenomenal oh, idea. Oh no, God, <laughs> no, God, please. No, 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 no. Yes. Thank you, Steve Carell, for also your opinion. I was trying to think about this from the perspective of misinterpretation, which maybe is the case. That's what I was thinking. So the idea that, first of all, a million and a half dollars is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It is nowhere near in the ballpark of, oh, my God, I have so much money that I have to worry about my heirs. I don't care how much money you spend, unless you're like 97 right now, there's a really good chance that you're going to use a lot of that money. I mean, just Fidelity, for example, has a study that says over the age of 65, 
you're going to spend $300,000 in healthcare expenses, not including long-term care costs. So if you need assisted care, if you need somebody to come to the house to make sure that you're okay every couple of days and drop off food or you know, you go to a facility, you know, a, an extended care facility, and, you know, they have those those different levels of care, three hundred uh, which year. are very popular. What's that? 300K a year? No, yeah. the Fidelity thing is 300K total. But, Holy cow. But long-term care costs escalate. So there's facilities, and they're becoming more and more popular. So I'm sure everybody has thought about this that's, you know, kind of getting toward retirement. But, you know, kind of the outer ring of the community is like golf carts, and you're playing golf, and you're having fun. And then as you need more and more care, you just move closer to the center of the community, which the community center is, you know, the full-time assisted care. You're literally circling the drain towards the center. (laughs) You're literally (laughs) circling the drain. Yes. We got some stackers living in those communities and they're like, no. Yeah. But the final cost can easily be $10,000 a month, depending on where you are. So a million and a half dollars is not in the ballpark of like, I have so much money, I need to worry about all this stuff. The second thing to really consider is, The worst problem is, oh my gosh, I left all this money to people I care about. They don't care what the tax bill is. We're talking about trying to solve a tax problem that doesn't exist right now for people that will be lucky to get it. I mean that like with all the intensity that I can. Like, I get that you don't want to have to like arbitrarily give a whole bunch of money to the government, but if you use the money, you were giving it to the government anyway, right? Like, you've deferred taxes on this money your entire life, they're going to get theirs whether it's from you or it's from your beneficiaries. This is not that. This is not that. (laughs) What we're not going to do is try to not pay taxes. You know, the reality is what it is, right? It just, you've saved money, you put it where it is. Another idea in terms of like, how do we structure this to like lower the potential tax bill for both, you know, me as the person, but also for my, my beneficiaries potentially is look at Roth conversions. If you have control over your income, especially in retirement, maybe the only income you have is Social Security, you have the uh, you have the ability to kind of fluctuate that in terms of your distributions and do Roth conversions, and now that money's tax-free. So there's two things that this person might be talking about. One might be, hey, let's just take a withdrawal out of your IRA for half a million dollars and dump it in this life insurance policy, bada-boom, bada-bing, no taxes due. Right. Okay. That's a $500,000 earnings year, right? The IRS looks at that and says, you just made half a million dollars. Congratulations. You're going to stroke a check for $200,000 of income taxes, which is going to burn up half of your net worth instantaneously for a, a life insurance benefit of some amount, which will be tax-free to the beneficiary for sure. And it will probably replace whatever the amount is that burnt, but not for your lifetime, for no another chance. lifetime. And- I'm assuming that your friend's money is invested in a reasonable place based on risk tolerance, timeframes, goals, whatever, right? And so let's say that you've got a 30-year retirement, so a lot of your money is invested. Even if you said, well, no, I think this money is accessible to me, you just said, I'm going to index it to the market, which doesn't mean I'm going to get market returns. You're going to get about 3% a year. So universal life, any sort of sales pitch that comes out and says, oh, yeah, you're going to average 7 8% a year is not true. You're going to average three and a half. That's just because they cap the top. That's how they have they have to do that. To, they can't give you all the upside and none of the downside. That's the sales pitch. You get all the upside and none of the downside. Insurance companies don't take all the downside and none of the upside, guys. They you take, would, they take yeah. most of the upside and trade with you on the downside. And to just be clear, to get those types of returns, you have to accept the downside. And there are policies that do that. They just don't, they're, they don't have these caps. It's called variable universal life. And it 
just has straight looking mutual funds inside of it. And it's a whole different thing in terms yeah. of in terms of that. That this ain't this isn't that. This isn't that. So the other way that maybe they're talking about, because he did slide this in there, was buying a universal life policy and funding it with premiums throughout the rest of your lifetime. This is what I think is probably really happening, OG. Yeah. I mean, the sales guy is probably saying, hey, listen, you don't have to write a check out of this. We'll just take it from your IRA every year. He's not saying buy it inside the IRA. He's not saying take your IRA out and dump it in the insurance policy. He's probably saying, hey, if you're worried about taxes, let's buy a life insurance policy for your beneficiaries and your beneficiaries will get a tax-free benefit, which could offset the tax bill that's associated with it. In some cases, this math does work. And you have to use a permanent policy for it because, you know, you're not going to buy a term policy for a 65-year-old. You don't know how long you're going to live, right? So when we talk about there's always arrows in the quiver and, you know, sometimes if everything's a square peg, round hole, you just try to jam it in. Sometimes this is the case for permanent policies. You're trying to ensure this uh, lifetime and trade away the premiums for the tax bill in the future. The problem that I have with this still is that it's still a relatively small amount in the grand scheme of things. We would typically look at life insurance as a solution here if we were faced with an estate tax bill. And an estate tax bill is if you die with more than $12.5 million. Then the IRS is going to come after half of what's above that if you're not married, right? If you're married, that number's $25 million. So if you've got less than $25 million, you're not going to pay estate taxes. You may pay income taxes. Phew. So we're not in that ballpark yet with a million and a half you know, investable net worth. We're, we're not close. So I'm not a fan of any of this. I like the Roth strategy. I think you can accomplish the same thing by being creative. And, and if you're 65, let's say, and you're going to live 30 years, you know, you're going to put 30 years of $6,000 a year premiums in. And that's assuming that their illustrations are correct and don't come to you 20 years from now and go, oh, sorry, we, you know, we didn't get the returns we thought. We need 12000 now. Hard pass. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Robert. If you've got a question for us like Robert had, head to stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail and we'll be happy to answer your question and send you a Haven Life uh, Stacky Benjamins Greatest Money Show on Earth circus t-shirt which is incredibly comfortable if you want to see all the swag we got out there stackingbenjamins.com slash shirts hey that's going to do it for today on the community calendar i'll be back on instagram on thursday but even before that on wednesday we're going to be recording this is going to be super fun we're going to be recording live a roundtable episode so you can hang out with og neighbor doug paula pant and len penzo that's going to be at uh, 4 p.m eastern 1 p.m. Pacific on Wednesday on the Fireside app. And on the Fireside app, you could actually be in the show with us. You could be uh, right in the studio audience. We'll also simulcast it on our YouTube channel. You can find all of those channels, links to everything, stackybedjamins.com slash welcome. It'll give you the link to the Fireside app. It'll give you the link to YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. Thursday, I'll be on Instagram live. Uh, That will be at 5 p.m. Central. So a couple big, excuse me, 5 p.m. Eastern. What am I talking about? Big events, Wednesday and Thursday, live with you guys. And of course, normal shows coming Wednesday and Friday this week. Coming up Wednesday is the show that OG and I uh, recorded live at Podcast Movement, our annual 
what are your audiences thinking about podcast with other podcasters from around the uh, personal finance and other communities? We'll have that coming up on Wednesday. But if you're not here for any hanging out with us, live events, t-shirts, any of that stuff, you really need to put together a better team to make better decisions. OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackybenjamins.com slash OG for a link to their calendar. It's first step to interfacing with them to see if they can help you make better decisions in your financial future. All right. Uh, that is it for Monday. Doug, take us home, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Sammy and Michelle Vargus and build a career around your dream life, not the other way around. Second, back-to-school supplies get expensive fast. Help your kids get organized so you don't have to replace everything before homecoming, because this ain't that. But the big lesson? Most people fail to see the importance of doing a trick-or-treat practice run in August, but persistence is the key, people. Seriously, OG, pony up with the Kit Kat, man. Thanks to Michelle and Sammy Vargus for joining us today. You can find their podcast, Build a Wealthy Spirit, wherever you're listening to us now. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course, you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of this show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Youngkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. Say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. You and Finn have a good night last night? Well, we did stay up late.
watching um oh what the hell was it oh alone i'm all into that show alone the survivor show uh, wait you watched you watched alone with somebody else i did broke the rules doesn't, yeah. doesn't that ruin the whole thing yeah so we were up late and then it started storming here but like it thundered for an hour before the storm actually hit and the dogs weren't as big a fans as you'd think they are or should be over thunder. So yeah, I was up since like four on and off since four. And then, Oh gee, do you have any preconceived ideas that dogs are big fans of thunder? I don't uh, <clears throat> know anything about dogs at all. So he prides himself on not knowing anything about dogs. Yeah. I don't know anything about thunder. Thunder. Yeah. No. So you're cuddling with your dogs while watching a show meant to watch alone. Right. Got it. Right. So you're group hugging through alone up till one watching that show. And then, uh, up three hours later with the DOGs. Did you like, uh, did, so, so what is this show alone about? Oh, it's been on forever. I bet, you know, as soon as I start describing it, I think it, well, it's on the history channel, but it's a survival show. So, um, where a lot of other survival shows, there's like film crews and they, you know, kind of stage the whole thing. This truly is, there are 10 competitors. They pick a different location every year in some of the most awful environments you can imagine. Usually a place that has like multiple seasons where there's actual snow. The one year they did the uh, rainforest in uh, Vancouver Island, but all the rest have been like Patagonia or way up in the Yukon territory. And these folks will start off kind of late summer, early fall, and they've got to prep and get themselves ready for everything that's about to come at them. And then winter shows up and it's, you know, they get 10 items uh, of their own choosing, whether that's a saw to help make firewood or a bow and arrow no guns, and they've got to literally find their own food, make their own shelter. They've got to absolutely everything, and they just give them all GoPros to film themselves doing this. So there is no support, no camera. Do you know crew. what? Sounds like what OG's kids call Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Right? He just sets them off. It's like I get to pick 10 things. I pick, um, let's see, right. a Ritz-Carlton. This is going to be good, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 600 thread count sheets. A full breakfast buffet. <laughs> breakfast buffet included, of course. <laughs> With the omelet station. Duh. I'm not going to make my own omelet. A refrigerator. Right. A freezer full of beef. <laughs> see, what else could I go with? That's right. One year, there was a guy from Alaska, and I think they were in Canada about two seasons ago, somewhere God knows where in Canada, but... He killed a muskox with his bare hands, like stabbed it to death. He, of like, course, he did. It was amazing how this guy—he pulled down the largest animal anybody has, and he won because he was eating steaks he was, for the whole rest of the time. Yeah, again for OG, that's called Thursday. Right. <laughs> Take down an ox all by myself. Yeah. <laughs> I throw rocks at it from like a hundred yards away. There might not even be muskoxes where they in Canada, but wherever they were, that's what he took down, and it was impressive. Wow. And, uh, but everybody else is just scraping by and they're like eating mice. They're using these little rock mm. deadfall rock traps to, to kill a mouse. And that's their protein for two weeks. It's like six grams mm. of protein in a mouse. But, you know, I like to dream that I could live miserably like that. I've been watching a show, Doug, that you introduced me to an Australian show called Fisk. How is OG not saying good day, mate? He says it every time oh. there's a foreign country and he's not saying good day, mate. Well, that's because I didn't say Austrian or oh, Dutch right. yeah. or yeah. Uh, it doesn't, Venezuelan. Oh, it doesn't work or, if it's the actual country. No, Got if it. it's the actual, whenever yeah, it's Australia, you don't do that. I don't but, know uh, if it's a, if it's a cultural. Hello there. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, sup. 
<laughs> uh, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or what, but I love the timing and tempo of Australian comedies. It's turning out. This show is so deadpan funny. Yeah. And I think you, were you the one that told me that the woman who's the main character is also the writer, the producer, the she's Dude, that was like less the than 12 hours ago that I told you that creative force. <laughs> I'm expecting to remember anything you say. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, she's everything. And I, I think I, the credits were scrolling fast, but I think she's got a sister or something that's also in the on the team. I would play a clip, but I can't. But But they're talking about season three, which means Netflix only picked up. The first season for Netflix in Australia, they're they're well beyond. Like she's this is yeah this season is a two, very successful uh, series. Jen looked it up. Season two is on Apple, and I we haven't dug for it yet. Oh. Don't know if it's a paid thing uh, or what. Fisk is a funny story. She got fired from her. The setup is she's an attorney who got fired from her old job, and it turns out it's because she yelled at a client. And then you find out later the client was. The woman, her ex-husband was sleeping with, not her ex at the time, found out that it, so, so she, she gets fired for this totally horrible reason and, and everything, just nothing works in her favor. And she just constantly finds a way around it. One of the very first bits, she goes into the temp agency to get the job and they ask if she is a reference and she's like, oh yeah, I think it's somewhere in there for well knowing there is no reference in there because they're just going to tell the temp agency she got fired. And she said, uh, and, and the one goes, well, I don't see one. And she goes, can I get one? And she just looks across the desk and goes, no. <laughs> Imagine trying to get a job. Oh, gee, can I get a reference? Yeah, no, no. Cannot, cannot get not, it. Not for me. And then she goes, so this outfit, is that what you're going to go with when you go? She goes, oh, yeah, I bought three of the same ones. I bought three of the same ones, so I don't have to decide what to wear every day. And the woman's like, I might rethink that. It's just a brown suit, and the temp agency lady's like, "You're you're you're melting into the furniture." And right after that, a guy shows up to talk, and he tries to sit on top of her because he can't see her. <laughs> he doesn't see her. Nice. It's so dumb. It is just it's just ridiculous farce of a show, and uh, very funny. It's, Fisk, I've watched, say, what's wrong with buying the same thing all the time? I know, right? I found these shirts. I really like them. Little athletic shirts. Ordered five of them. Three of them in the same color, because I forgot that. I- From the clavicle on up, you look athletic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.